Discovering the Lost Shadow Child, featuring Ashley Nowakowski. What happens to a child that becomes overshadowed by a loved one's addiction? How do individuals within a family and the system as a whole deal with someone's addiction, recovery, and possible relapse? Ashley Nowakowski, author of The Shadow Child, shares her story of living in the shadows of her brother's addiction and their overall impact on the family. She joins to talk about her new book that is one part story and second part tools for family members and loved ones. To learn more about the podcast, make sure to listen to the trailer for Talking Addiction and Recovery. Ashton Nowakowski was born in 1984 in southeastern Wisconsin. Growing up with a sibling who struggled with substances created a home environment that was less than ideal. Once her brother found recovery, Ashley, along with her parents, created Your Choice to Live, Inc., a nonprofit organization specializing in drug and alcohol prevention education. For more than a decade, Ashley has been speaking in middle and high schools, educating parents, teachers, and community members, and working with high-risk youth. Ashley is the voice of many who are silently suffering through their siblings' addiction. Ashley has a Master of Public Administration, a Prevention Specialist Certification, and is working towards her Substance Abuse Counselor Certificate. Welcome back, Ashley. You are a returning guest for Talking Addiction Recovery Podcast. Thanks for coming back again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is exciting because you've got this uh, accomplishment that you've been been working on and it's been released. You wrote a book called The Shadow Child Living with a Sibling's Addiction. Yes, I did. It's exciting. Yeah, one thing that stood out was it, when you read like memoirs, you read you read books, uh, and that's that's when you learn people's story. Yours is a little different because you've told your story before. You shared your story. What all of a sudden made it to that point of where you were like, "I want to write a book about it." At this time, where you are. I think I've always kind of wanted to write a book, but I wasn't really sure what to write about. And so like, as I was working on myself, um, since my brother's recent relapse and I was like journaling and finding things that could help me, I was like, wow, like, I wonder if other people are thinking the same things or going through the same thing. So as I was like writing in my journal, I'm like, I could put this into a book to help other people that are living um, in this, but I couldn't just tell them like how to help themselves without explaining my story. So I kind of went backwards and journaled and then said, well, I have to kind of explain where I'm coming from so people understand. So it was like something I've always wanted to do, but then as I went through it, it just kind of fell together. Was there any point along the way where, because journaling can be a very um, private, personal you know, thing where you're writing things in there that like you might not share with, with anyone and you were journaling throughout the process that you were going through. Was was there any challenge at some point to be like, is this too much that I'm sharing? Am I am I getting too deep into some of this with knowing that this part of this was coming from something like a journal? Yeah, um, I think I shared most of it. Um, I can't like pinpoint something that I didn't share because it was too personal because I just I felt like I had to be honest with like all my thoughts. So, 
you know, is like, if I leave this out, then it doesn't make sense. And I know people are feeling this way. So I'm, I pretty much put everything in there. That's great. And as, as therapists, I'm like, yes, journaling, like that's what we, we recommend it. We love to see it and hear you, you take a step further. And it wasn't just, it was very therapeutic for you, I can imagine, but you also took that work and, and then made it into something for other people to, to learn from. And that's, that takes some like vulnerability and, and takes opening up that with something like a journal seems more of like a kind of keep this, keep the secret. <laughs> yeah. And people who have read it that don't experience the things that I have, they're like, I learned something about relationships that I can apply in my own life, or I learned something about setting boundaries. So, um, you know, just sharing some of that vulnerable stuff, like, I'm not going to lie. I feel like now that it's published and people know my story, I feel like I'm standing on a stage naked and people are judging me, right? Like my whole life is there. All my thoughts, some of them I'm not proud of are right there. So, but to hear the feedback, like, wow, I don't have this experience, but I can apply what you've done in my own life. So that to me is really rewarding. The title is also intriguing. And I want to explore that a little bit. The shadow child, when you do um, some, some work in like our world of therapy, you talk about like family systems and you kind of look at some roles and and one of the roles is identified as loss or a lost child. So that's one of the, the roles that a family member might be assigned to. And then I, I look at your book and I see like, there's this, this shadow child, what really describes or makes that character of the shadow child? Oh, I don't know. I just, when I read through like some of those descriptions as I was writing the book, like I could find myself into some of those, but I just feel like the shadow child is the, the one that doesn't say anything because they're afraid to say something. They don't want to make things worse or everybody's just always focused on this other child that people don't notice you at all. And so, um, it just was like, oh my gosh, I've been living in the shadows. I don't know how to describe it, but it's just, there's never focus on you, which is understandable when like there's turmoil and one of your children is sick. Of course, there's going to be people in the shadows, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how to best explain it. the way I, as I was reading your book and even reading the, the forward by Tom Farley, who I think resonated a lot with that as well in his own experience, I, with the lost child, it's sort of seen as like in a, the family's in this room and the, the lost child is like a piece of furniture in the, in the corner that's sort of like forgotten. Like we, we know that it's, it's there. Um, sometimes we interact and use it when we need to, but for the most point, it, it's, it's sort of lost back there. The shadow child to me almost seems like even another step where it's like that object isn't even there anymore, but the shadow is still reminiscent of that individual. So mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's almost like, I, I'm sure this happened to you plenty of times where you know, you were, you were there, you know, you were 
seen, but at times it was also like you weren't seen. And the only thing left was almost just like your shadow of me being a child in this family. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It's like, we know she's there, but we don't see her or hear her. You know, we just know she's there and doing her thing, but yeah, that makes sense. How, how long did it take? Or I guess either how long or, or how recent was it where that concept of how you felt was actually fully understood? I think it was fully understood. Like, so within the past two years. So before I started writing it and I was looking at myself and the things I needed to work on myself um, to heal from the things I've been through. I was like, oh my gosh, like I've been living in his shadows my entire life. And so I think it's been more recent that I've, I recognize that. And that's a while. Cause this is, this isn't anything new. So even being able to recognize that that's how you're living and, and the shadows living in, look at all those years where it, it, it can go unnoticed. So some people might be living it now, might not even realize it for a while. It's not just something that is, Hey, why didn't you notice this? It doesn't happen that quickly. No. And even like, you know, you think when somebody gets sober, things can change and they get better and they do, but in our situation, the dynamics kind of almost stayed the same. And the only thing that was different was my brother wasn't using substances when he was sober, but our family dynamics stayed very much the same. And so when he relapsed and it was like, oh my gosh, like we didn't, we didn't change, you know? And so then it was kind of like, almost feel like blame, like, oh, I should have, I, maybe if I would have done this differently, maybe if I would have spoke up, he might not have relapsed. And when I was writing, when I wrote the book and I sent it to my publisher and then he had an editor who's a, um, a psychologist edit the book. She said, you have to take some of this out where you're blaming yourself for his relapse because it's not your fault. And I'm like, I, I understand that, but how many, how many people think that though, you know, when something goes wrong, doesn't matter in your life. You're like, Oh shoot. If I just would have done this, maybe this wouldn't have happened. So I kind of was like, I can't take that out. So like when I look back and nothing and the dynamics were the same, I was like, wow, even when he was sober, I was still in the shadows because now he was sober and which I was so happy about, but it, it continued for years after his, um, he got sober. And I think that's something when I've worked with families and even individuals who, who struggle with substance use, it sobriety is sort of this hope that everything will get better, that you get sober, everything's going to change. Um, all the trust that's been lost, will get restored. All the, the problems that were caused will be solved. Uh, if you ever even hear, a treatment center commercial it just sounds like if you make this decision like life will get get better but families don't learn enough about changes when someone does get sober because mm-hmm. it, it's sort of like a, everything's going to return to normal but part of it is like well what what was normal we don't even know what that was 
And then all of a sudden you see someone can be sober and the family still goes through changes and, and struggles. There's not enough part of now that sobriety is going on, how is this changing some dynamics? Cause it's almost like a, let's just hope they get sober and then everything will be good. And it sounds like that's what your family experienced. Yeah. And like, I even am like seeing this more even now. Um, like we, he got help and he got sober, but instead of us, we used to live in fear that he would use drugs and, and he would die from that. And then he got sober, but that fear was still there. So we still lived with that. Oh my gosh. What if he goes back? What if he does this? And like, so nothing changed. And I, if I could go back, I would advocate for myself to go through therapy, my parents to go continue through therapy, not just in the initial when he was first in treatment and everything. I think um, we need to learn, we needed to learn different coping skills and how to heal and all of this stuff, I think would have really benefited um, that. But like you said, we just think, oh, they get sober, they're seeing a therapist, everything will be great. But we have to relearn how to live with that. So, yeah. One of the fascinating parts of your book was that you read addiction memoirs and stories and very typical fashion as you hear the, the doom and gloom is like a big part of it. Like this is where like the addiction started. This is how things got really bad. This is how they got even worse. Then you hear about how the person got sober. They kind of talk about how it happened. And then here you go. But your 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 book wasn't like that. It, it actually got into the sobriety part of it. And then there was a lot of focus on the relapse. I, I don't know any other book where I've read, where I've seen an author put so much out there about the relapse experience. Mm-hmm. What was that like to, to put that out there? Because I imagine that's just not something that, yeah, I can't wait to write about this, this whole relapse experience. What, what was it like to actually just dedicate so much time to, and, and in your book about that experience? I think, you know, like you said, you read so much about it. He was a teen and they made these choices and then he got sober, but I don't think people can see how crazy it can get, you know, like you can explain it so much, but like I needed to, I felt like I had to show people like, look, this is how crazy it can get. I can see stories on Facebook of moms, you know, like going to court with their children. And I'm like, people don't always see that. They don't see how crazy it can get. And so, and it was more recent for me, you know, going through my teen years and like that, all my memories aren't all there. And then going through the relapse is really, really fresh. And that's really when I started journaling, Um, but really my motivation was to show people how crazy it is and then not to be alone. So like my, um, the editor psychologist, she's like, I see families in this relapse stage all the time and they don't know, you know, is it okay to kick them out? Is it okay not to save them? So, I mean, I, it was really just to show how crazy it can be. Yeah. I could tell that when I was reading so much about what was going on. 
with the, the court case legal in your book. And I imagine like if someone were to just tell me, yeah, we're going through some issues with, with legal because of them and what's going on. But you really went into detail about all of that like perspective of just how much can be involved where all that like second guessing, all this, is this the right thing to do? All this is what's being said about us or being said about me. This is us trying to keep the communication going. This is us trying to like, just trying to maintain sanity throughout all this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So like when people, you know, have this going on and they miss work, well, why'd you miss work? Who cares? He's just in jail or whatever. You know, it's like, no, but you don't understand the mind games and how consuming it can be one minute. You're happy. The next minute you get a text. And it, I really wanted to show how, um, insane it really is. Yeah. I think that that helped me to, to just be more, more open to recognizing that they might tell me that this happened, but there was so much more about that than, well, this is what occurred and okay. Like that doesn't sound great, but you know, you got, you got through it, but actually to be able to give someone space and opportunity to like be able to feel safe and share about how exhausting that may have been or how they could barely sleep the night before maybe, or just how they had to try to manage home life or work life and still do this. Like, I think, I think that goes very unnoticed and unrecognized in, in some of the family members experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And people are so quick to just say, you know, get over it, move on. What, what, you know, but like, this is someone you care about, you know, you want them to succeed, but it's, it's, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, your, your book too was, it was such vivid details that it seemed like I was almost watching like a, a TV series from episode to episode. It was very well-written where it's like, I could see what was going on in this, like, chronological order of things is kind of like, well, what's going to happen? Like when I finished a chapter, I was like, that that episode's over. And I was kind of like, where is this going to pick up next? And I I thought that was very well written and put together to just show how those experiences like continued and flowed. And it wasn't like, let's jump to two years later, jump to three years later. Like it was a, a very well-written, like chronological experience of what you were going through in that moment. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Do you, when, when you wrote that and, and put that out there for people, did you, did you get the idea that, that someone was going to look at that and see everything that you went through and did you think people were either gonna look at you as like look at what she did as a a negative thing do you think people were gonna villainize like your brother did you think people were gonna um sort of pick those sides almost so to speak with this whole story did you ever 
question that or think about that? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've had one person in particular, um, tell me like, this isn't my story to tell. This is his story. Um, which I get, you know, obviously there's probably things in there that he doesn't like, but for me, like our family's been public for so long and most of what is in my book has already been recorded. It's on the internet. So I felt like if I was just quiet and shut down, I was doing a disservice for what I've been doing for the past 10 years of my life. You know, I've been sharing, our family has been honest. So I know there's people that probably don't like it. Um, but for me, if I can help a family that's going through it with my book, then it's worth it. And I think that's, that's part of it too. Like that's very hard to do. Like how you, how, how would you tell your story about this without mentioning the other people that were also involved? Like there'd be so many questions. People would be like, wait, well, what about this? Or, or they would, they would want to know that. So you did put it out there, but I think talking like we did before, a lot of it was just talk about how challenging it was, how, how difficult it was, the, the insanity at times of what you were going through. It wasn't to write about and share about others' experiences. It was to highlight more so of what your experience was. Right. Like this is the event that took place and this is how I felt or how I handled it wrong and right. So, um, yeah. Do you think siblings and, that are impacted by substance use, I've always felt that it's gone really unaddressed. I think there's an the idea that like the, the parents will take care of the siblings or the parents will educate the siblings. Do you think there needs to be some more resources like your book or programs or options or education or, or support specifically for like siblings of individuals with substance use problems? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I have a friend who lost his brother and he said, when I went to his funeral, there was all of this information for the parents, but there was one brochure on siblings, you know, and um, a few years ago, I ran, uh, we called it a concerned others group in one of our local high schools. And so kids who were identified as potentially their siblings were um, using substances, we would meet once a week. And just to have them talk to each other and like not feel alone. And it wasn't like a formal thing, but it was more just a group setting and letting them work through some of that stuff. Cause like I said, in the book, you can't really go to your parents cause they're grieving. So then where do you go? And so I definitely feel that there needs to be more for siblings. I think that's an assumption too, that like, Oh, once the parents maybe get some help or they go to therapy or they do this, they can then take care of the siblings, but that's not, it's not how it works. Cause one, you have to rely on that happening, which it might not, but that's, I think, I think that's a, a misunderstanding that if the parents get help or resources, that means it's going to trickle down automatically to like siblings and other family members. That's, that's not an automatic, that's not guaranteed. Siblings need their own outlets and resources and support. 
They, they definitely do. Because even if the parents do get help, they might have closed that chapter. And then if the sibling still wants to talk about what happened, it might trigger something in the parents that they don't want to talk about that anymore. Or the sibling shares like how they felt neglected and the parents are affected again because they didn't know that. So I definitely think siblings need their own therapists. <laughs> and how do we help with that? Because as you talked about with the shadow child, I mean, you've, you've been in the shadows for a while. You've done things to kind of step out from it. And I mean, many things, it's, it's not just what you've put out, but there's a lot of steps you took before all this to get out of the shadows. But I also think we have to do some things to, try to meet them in the shadows or try to at least let them know that there are things out there. What, how do we do that? The group you talked about would be an, a great example, but how else do we reach siblings? Yeah. Um, I think, well, letting parents know that this might potentially be going on. So like if, you know, there's parents who are going to helping getting therapy for their child's um, substance use, you know, mentioning like, hey, is there any siblings in the house? Do we want to do some group work together? Do you want to see them individually? Because I'm sure the parents don't think of that either. So I definitely think one way um, would definitely be just the education for parents to know that, hey, we should help siblings as well. Um, I know there's like some online groups that are probably really helpful, but I just think just the awareness of what is out there and how even guidance counselors, if they have one of them and they know a younger siblings in the school, how can we help them? So I think just more of an awareness that this is happening and they also need help. Yeah, those are, those are great ideas. And I think just keep plugging those in and just having more resources. But once again, not assuming that if the parents get help, that means the kids get help. Cause that doesn't, it's not, not an automatic. The, the other part that uh, was fantastic about your book is the stories told. And then in the end, it's like, you just drop a toolbox on everyone. <laughs> you have so many, I was, as I was going through, I was like, how many of like chapters are there where it's just all these different tools that's being dropped on people, but that's literally all of a sudden you just give all these different tools for people to use. Um, was that always your idea to have that part in the book? Or is that something that you, that came up later that you were like, Hey, I can actually give more things than just my story. Um, that came out in my journaling. So I would meet with my counselor. She's like, Hey, you got to read this book. So I read the book and then I would journal about it. And then I'm like, I wonder how many people don't know about this, you know? So it really came from the journals. So then I was like, okay, I can help. I've read all these books. I'll just give them little cliff notes and how it helped me. And then they can do their own homework. So, yeah, that's a great part of it. It's not like full, like boundaries. I mean, there's, there's a lot of books on boundaries and I know like I've recommended some books on boundaries. Now all of a sudden, like someone's got two or three books that are full length about boundaries, but you, you dedicate a couple pages to each tool. And what I love about that is one, someone reads your, your book and then gets to the tools it's like right away, boom, they can pick one up 
in a couple pages. Like they don't have to read 200 pages to finally be like, well, now let me use boundaries. The, the other part of it is that I imagine someone who might need something or who might be struggling can easily refer to this to remind themselves or to just get in their mind to use a tool that could be used like in that very moment, mm-hmm. which is a lot different than once again, like a whole book where they're like, okay, I got a whole, re- I got to read this whole thing again, just to remember about detaching and, and boundary work and all that was, have you gotten any feedback from people on like that whole back part of the tools and all that? Yeah, that I have um, from a few people just examining their own lives and their own relationships and boundaries. I know my mom has one book that is really helpful for her that anytime she feels sad, she goes back to that book in that certain chapter. So when I was writing it, I was like, okay, that's what I want. I want somebody to be able to reference. And I also wanted to show in there. Well, one, I love examples because people can tell me things and I'm like, I don't know what you mean. So I tried to give it heavily example based. And then I also wanted to show my own flaws. Like I don't, I don't sit here and say I was in the shadows, poor me. There's nothing I could do. Like I, I played a role in all of this as well, um, in my own way. And I made mistakes too. And I wanted to show people like how I was able to recognize my mistakes so that I don't make them going forward. And you also even touch on something that I thought was, was really important was even resources for, for parents. I know one of the things that you touched on was how much are you leaning on your children for help? And I, I don't think parents see that as much, um, where they might be leaning on another sibling and they might be leaning on another family member. They view themselves as they're the ones that are taking care of everyone else, but they, they might be taking actions and doing things that is putting a lot on someone else to, to keep them up. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that you wrote about it and talked about that. Was that how was that with sharing even some things like that with the relationship with your parents and knowing the experience that they had and that all of you had at that time and even and now as you still reflect on it? Well, um, I went through a lot recently of therapy with my parents, um, and I think that was really helpful um, cause I mean, my parents, now that I'm older, they've leaned on me more than they did when I was younger, um, which is fine. And I'm an adult, but we worked through that in therapy, which I think was really, really great. But then in my job and seeing kids and working with kids, you know, I see the parents leaning on their kids and the weight that those kids carry, um, because they're trying to keep their parents up. Um, is really heavy. And I, and like you said, I don't think they realize that. And so I wanted to put that in there um, just because I see it in the work that I do. I think that's going to get some parents to like, kind of take a second guess to be like, Oh, like I never thought about that, or I didn't see it that way. Maybe I am 
leaning too much on it. I think that's going to be a little bit of like a, Ooh, like a little self-awareness check for, for parents, which I think is really good. The other one that I really liked hearing, I never heard this before was the, the canoe. I never heard of that. Um, and there's, there's usually a lot of things that I, <laughs> I'm not saying I know, I know it all, but like, I, I'm, I'm like, why have I not heard of that with, with the canoe? And then when you also talked about burning your canoe, I was like, this is how was this something I haven't heard about? Cause you talked about the day where you, you, you burned your canoe. And I, I kind of relate this to breaking points mm-hmm. that we don't know what people have, where, where they are. Some people can last a lot longer, but I, I'm under the impression that everyone has a breaking point where they just can't keep doing what they've been doing. And I think someone who's caught up in the, the addiction is always thinking like that, that family member when push comes to shove, they'll, they'll always kind of be there to be rescued or they'll, they'll be there to do something because that that's, what's been done before. That's what's worked. But I am under the impression that family members at some point, we all have our breaking points that we just can't do it anymore. And it sounds like you experienced that. And that's where you talked about burning the, the canoe. What was that experience like to, to reach that point? I think some people think like, oh my gosh, that must mean she's broken or exhausted or she's, she just can't take any more. I'm also thinking like there was probably also some relief. There was probably also some like I can focus on me now. What what was that like for you to reach that point? Yeah. So in our therapy sessions, we my mom and I were just like looping like we haven't heard from him. What can we do? Like we want to do something. Should we reach out to him? Should we not? We don't know. And she said, what if things never change? What if it never gets better? What if he never comes back in your life? And here you are constantly. And then I would look at it and go, okay, every time I am thinking about him, I'm taking away time for my children or I'm snapping at my children, even though they've done nothing wrong, but my mind is not with them. I'm taking time away from my husband. I feel like everything that I have done to help him, I can do. And it was so consuming that I said, I can't do this anymore. I have to now focus on myself. And it took two years for that, to be honest, like, you know, cause you want to help so bad and you try and you try and you try and you're getting nowhere and you have sleepless nights and you can't function. And I said, no, he's on his own now. He has to has to figure this out himself. And so that was kind of after the therapy and working on myself and like, I guess you kind of feel guilty too. Like, Oh, you know, I am starting to feel better about myself. I'm happy. And I know he's probably sad. And so you start to feel guilty too. But once you kind of like, let go, like he can do this, (laughs) he, you know, Um, that was really just the breaking point, starting to get healthy myself, feeling really good, realizing that I feel like I've done everything I can 
And it's not fair to my children. It's not fair to my husband. It's not fair to my friends if I'm not fully vested in them. So that was my breaking point. I imagine it's even harder for families because we're talking about multiple people with different breaking points. And that's not everyone's in the same spot. So like I work with families where like one one family member was done a long time ago. Like they they hit a breaking point much earlier on. They stopped answering phone calls. They stopped coming over for things. They they stopped doing all that like some did it very early on. And then I've met some that no matter what happened, like they were still doing some of those same things, still answering the phone calls, still doing all this, trying to change them, trying to control things. And it's got to be challenging when one person might be here with it. Another person might be over there with it because it's still like a family system yep, and it's still impactful. So you might've been done, but that doesn't mean everyone else in the family was at that same spot you were. So did therapy help with some of that? Like, did that help process some of that? I've never met a family who's been at the breaking point at the same time. Like there's always usually people at different places. And so my parents would fight because you know, she was sad, but my dad's like, well, I'm done. No. Why would we continue? And so we went through therapy, all three of us together to try to understand where the other person was coming from. It's not that, oh, she needs to get over it. Or he, how can he let go so fast? We read um, a book about ambiguous loss and how people see things differently. And I think that was huge, you know, because my dad was like, okay, I've lost my son. And my mom's like, well, I've lost the future with my son. So having those discussions in a safe environment really helped us to understand, okay, she sees this differently and she's going to handle it differently, but it doesn't mean it's right or wrong. We just have to support the choices she makes. Um, and I think that was, that was huge in, the healing process between myself and my parents who are all on very different pages. Yeah. I think that's the important thing is support. Isn't that we all agree to be at the same spot in decision. Like that's, if that's, if that's what support's going to be, that's always going to be toxic. Cause the, the moment one person is saying I'm done, the, the other one's saying we can't be done. They need us more now, like that's just going to cause friction. But I think part of it is to be able to, the person to be able to describe where they're at, what, what boundaries they're having, what decisions they're making, and just have to the other people support that this is the decision for themselves. And that we're also not expecting other people to, to do that. Like just because I'm doing this doesn't mean everyone else has to, but this is what I'm going to do what's best for me and where I am right now. And it sounds so simple, but when you're, when you've been living these family dynamics for so long, it's so easy just to revert back to, Oh, you're such a cold person. How could you do that? Or why do you always have to cry every single time? So it sounds easy, (laughs) but it does take a lot of work um, just to hear each other out and where they're coming from. 
Yeah, because that's, that's just a whole dynamic of like, it's not just about me. Like I am part of a family. Like this is, this is more than just me, but there is a big part of me that I need to take care of or look out for, or I won't be good for the family. And that's, I learned that a lot when I had a amazing uh, coworker whose wife did marriage and family therapy. And I, the exercise that she did all the time, whenever we worked in groups was awesome. She would have family members sit around in a big, big circle and she would hand people this yarn and she would have people pass the yarn all the way around the circle until she got it back. And then she would talk about like addiction and she would talk about how family dynamics change and people do things different as she was doing it. She'd be like pulling tighter on like one side and you would start to, to see what were people doing. Some people like let go of the string right away. Like I'm, I'm not messing with this. You saw some people like hold on tighter. You know, you saw, you saw people, their, their dynamics changed. And what it highlighted was that as like a family system, when something like this is occurring, like there is no, like everyone does the same thing. Everyone reacts the same way. Everyone's going to make the same choices. This isn't like a, a trust building exercise where we're all trying to hold someone up. Like there, there's a lot of things that will change with the addiction, but also with the recovery too. Right. And I think you, you were fortunate to, to have therapy as an option to like Mm -hmm. process those things, learn those things. But it's amazing that when you aren't having those conversations, you aren't talking about that. You're not noticing what you're doing with the string. You're not noticing what other people are doing. That's just like habit of our family history and dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure like, obviously therapy is not going to just fix it and it's forever better. Like this is something that we will have to work on for the rest of our lives. Um, but at least now we have the tools to be like, Oh, wait, don't have, that's not the correct thought to have. Remember, this is different for her, for my mom than it is for me. So it's not like a one and done. Nothing is a one and done. I'm learning. (laughs) Yeah. Which is also what you kind of write about is these are just things that you have to continuously apply and work on. Like when you talked about forgiveness, there can be something that happens that a seed of resentment drops after you just forgave for something before where you're like, Oh, this is, this is happening again. Like, yeah, a lot of these things can continue to occur or impact you. And the, the tools are there not just a one and done, but as a, a toolbox, as you make your way through like this journey. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's hard for families. Cause I think families, I, I always, this reminds me of when like a, when I work with kids and they get in trouble at school for like um, using, like, I remember I got like referrals for like kids that would get caught smoking cigarettes. They'd have to come see me for like three sessions for the school to like, let them back, like mm-hmm. let them back in. I remember the parents would come in and be like, all right, let's, um, let's just get this taken care of. So we can put this all behind us. And like, I always like, I irk at that. Let's put this behind us as if 
there's a way we can just close this up and put it away and it's never going to be a part of our story anymore. Um, I, I, I see parents sometimes hoping or wishing like that's what we're going to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I see that a lot too. <laughs> so what's the, what's the, what's the more accurate yet hopeful vision for families? If we want to break that, that idea of like, well, let's just get this taken care of sobriety will fix everything and we can be all good again. What's, what's a more accurate way of for helping families to see this, but also not just be like despaired. Cause if I, if I tell them, Hey, you got to work on this the rest of your life, they might not want to come back the second session. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> that's a really loaded question. Um, yes, you will have to work on it the rest of your life, but I feel like it gets easier once you have the tools. I know like if something happens, I know like, okay, I process it. It's gone. I don't loop about it all the time. But I think the one thing that I just really took away from all the stuff that I've done is I'm able to be happy. Um, there is happiness in this. And no matter what happens, you can find happiness. So even um, if they don't find sobriety, you know, you still have your life too, and you can find happiness within that life. Does it mean that you don't have sad times and you don't miss the loved one? Of course, you're always going to have that, but know that there is happiness out there. Um, and then I think the work is just, it really is worth it. <laughs> I can't stress that enough. The If I didn't do the work that I have done, I would probably be an angry, stressed out, horrible parent, not a great wife um, because I didn't work on myself. So the work is worth it um, tremendously. Yeah, I think what we're talking about is changing that that old paradigm equation of the loved one plus sobriety equals my happiness. Right. Like, I think that's like what we're talking about shattering here is that so many family members and loved ones like are waiting for their sober, their, the individual they love once they get sober and they're in recovery, then I, I can be happy again. I can be (laughs) stress-free, which, um, I don't think that's possible in general, but I think that's, I think that's the equation that, that a lot of family members are, are hoping gets put together and we're not taking it away. We're not taking away that outcome of my happiness. What we're talking about is taking away that, that dependency on someone needing to be sober for you to actually be able to achieve that. And your book is just filled with examples of what a family member can do to themselves that can still equal that happiness without wherever the individual is in their recovery or they're using, it doesn't mean that has to change that formula. Mm -hmm. It's almost like it becomes almost like a drug to the family members as in like everything revolves around them and their sobriety. 
you know, so it's almost like we have to unlearn all of those habits and all of those thoughts and then find them within ourselves, if that makes sense. Oh, uh, yeah. And family then, members don't like hearing that. <laughs> I know, I know, but it is worth it. And to your point about the let's just close this chapter and move on. Um, I always see it as, yes, it's painful and it's hard to go through but I've learned so much from it. I see it more as a learning experience and what I can take from that experience and apply it into my life now. You know, um, I, I don't want to close that chapter and it to be done. I think back of how can I better my life now because of what I went through, what can I do different with my children, you know, things like that. So we want to close it, but we have to just see it as a learning experience. And I think you've, you've talked about it, you've been very open about it. You write about it, that through all this too, like you look at becoming, like I can become a better mom by some of the things that I've learned. I can become a better wife, a better daughter. Like I can, I can learn from what all this has taught me to, to make change or at least just do things that I, can do better now that I didn't think I did right the first time. Like I, I made this mistake before, like I held this resentment or I, I did this and now you can take those things and you can apply them to also other areas of your life that, that matter too. Yeah. Or even just help somebody. Like I know where you've been, but this is where, this is how I can help or what I suggest moving forward. So, I mean, it was painful. I wish I didn't have to go through it, but that's life, right? And so the way you can take your painful experiences and you can sit with them or you can try to make the world better. And that is what I wanted to do. I think that highlights to what I've learned a lot is the difference between resiliency and transformation. Resiliency is just getting through sometimes, you know, just day by day, incident after incident, like struggle after struggle or tough day after tough day. It's just like, how do I get through that? And you experience that throughout, I imagine the whole story, but especially through like the, the relapsing and the, the using days where it was just trying, like you said, through that chaos and insanity, how do I just get through today? I just want to like get through today. But the second half, so like the first part of your book shares your story with all that resiliency and like getting through some of it. But then your the second half focuses on like the tools and support and resources that can actually lead to like transformation. Mm-hmm. This is what I've learned from all that. This mm-hmm. is what I took away from that now that I couldn't really see back then. And I don't think family members are going to see all that transformation when they're in the, the thick of it, but there's that hope and you, you have a, a section there on hope. There's this hope that by doing that work, I can reach that transformation and say like, this is what I've learned through all of that, that we went through or that I went through. And I got to this point now that I'm not just okay with, but I'm, I'm happy or that I'm at, I'm at peace. Yeah. Yeah. The, the living, like just to get through the day (laughs) is over, which is great. And it is, 
it is really freeing to like wake up and be like, all right, I'm, I'm happy today. Like I'm excited for today. Um, and even my therapist, like when my mom and I would meet with her and then towards the end, she was like, I see such a difference in the two of you, but I could not tell you what the difference was, but she could see it as an outside person. But my mom and I were like, what do you mean? She's, I can't pinpoint it, but other people can see it, but I might not know exactly what that is. I don't think that gets recognized enough either, because normally the, the person that has gotten sober or they've been in like there's a lot of recognition for like how they look or how how changes with them have been i i don't think some of the the work that family members put in is easily is is recognized um like oh good you supported them or yay you're helping them but like how are you doing like what it looks like you've done you look great for what you've done not like Oh, you look great because they look great. Or like, I think some of the, the work that family members put in and some of the changes they go through also deserves its recognition. Yeah. So I'm glad your therapist did that because that's a, that was a great (laughs) thing to see, but I think too often, once again, like that gets overshadowed. Yeah, for sure. So it's, it's also important to recognize that Families struggle, families will have their difficulties, but families also do go through recovery and healing. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't pay attention enough like that. Like we look at individuals and their recovery and their their success at it. We look at like the the statistics behind it, but looking at like what about a family member's recovery? What about their successes. I think that deserves attention as well. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. So this is, I was such a fan of, of your, your book. It was, and you mentioned me in it. I was, I was shocked. I I was was like, like, I probably should have asked you (laughs) about that first, but I mean, just having that podcast with you, like, oh my gosh, my mom was always saying like, oh, I forced a rock bottom. And I'm like, once you said that, I'm like, no, that was her rock bottom. We're allowed to have a rock bottom too. It was just so enlightening um, when you shared that. So I hope you don't mind. <laughs> no, I mean, you've got, it's it's a great, like I said, it's a phenomenal resource for people. It it tells the story and then it, it just, you, you drop a toolbox on the people where it's like, here, like take take what you need when you can, when you need it or when you want to learn more about it, I think it's going to be like a very quick guide for people to not just use once, but like refer back to when they're facing a challenge, when they're facing a difficulty, when they're in a situation where they don't know what to do, that they can actually go to this and and read a couple pages and actually have a decision that they can make or they have some direction they can go. And so I would imagine some people that that read your book might find that maybe they read it cover to cover once, but they will actually refer back to it quite often when they are in some of these situations. Yeah, that would be awesome. So it's it was phenomenal. I enjoyed reading it. It's it's one that I'm going to obviously recommend to a lot of people. The best place now I got it from you, but what's what's the best place for people to to get the book? 
So it is available on Amazon or any bookstore. Um, I also have um, an author website. It's ashleynowakowski.com um, or Amazon works too. So whatever's convenient uh, for people. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. It can be for, and I also think it can be for individuals at some point. I'm not saying if they're in their, their worst of their worst and they're using, but I also think people who, are in recovery themselves can learn about what their family goes through or what a sibling goes through as well. But we're talking about the shadow children. We're talking about the, the individuals with the substance use. We're talking about families. I mean, there's a lot of people from like a, a family system, individual perspective that can benefit from this book and not just the shadow child, but others as well. Yeah. Yeah. So like, this is one that can be really helpful for a lot of people. And it's, it's amazing that you wrote it. So I kudos to you on this accomplishment. Thank you. So go to Amazon, get the book, read it, talk about it, you know, let us know what you think, but you will not disappoint. And thanks again, Ashley, for returning as a, a guest again on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you.